Hi, welcome to the Mag Culture Podcast. I'm Jeremy Leslie. I'm here at the Mag Culture Shop. On the contents list for this episode, uh, a look back at 2019 with some of our friends, a few personal highlights from the year, uh, some new magazines, a book about magazines, um, plus we've got Martha Dillon from It's Freezing in LA joining us, and we'll also hear from Rod Stanley from Good Trouble, and we'll end with our regular back issue. But starting off with just a quick look back on the year at MagCulture, it's been a pretty frantic year. We've had um, our regular MagCulture meets have continued. We've had iMagazine, Creator Review, Architectural Review, uh, the Digital Project Tortoise, Racket, the team from Nova, and Good Trouble, as I mentioned, more of which later. We did MagCulture Live in London and New York, and we ended with the Christmas Cracker, where we raised uh, £1,410 for Shelter from the Storm. Before I move on to look back at uh, some particular highlights with our friends, I just wanted to highlight a couple of recent projects that have arrived here at the shop. First of all is the first issue of Slow magazine, um, the women's sports magazine, which is uh, an interesting uh, de- uh, theme and development in its own right. But what's particularly intriguing about this is the website has been around for some time now, uh, covering a wide range of women's sport, and this is the first print issue. And I think this is something we, we're continuing to see more of is a is a is a web entity moving into print and this is a particularly satisfying one it's it's a big chunky magazine with lots of different sports i really do recommend it but well put together so moving from a brand new magazine a magazine that's one of the staples of of the of the indie scene is delayed gratification and their 36th issue is out and one of the one of the things the magazine's best known for is its infographics so they've gone to town on this one with a four page pullout there aren't many bands that deserve four pages but this one's about the beatles and i think they just about managed to pull it off you might wonder who the most popular singer is and according to the facts here it was paul when i think we all thought it would be john but then moving right up to the current day we've got the um, average number of streams per day on spotify uh, my my favorite beatles song comes in at a rather lowly uh, 45,000 that's a day in the life from sergeant pepper but the most popular one and this this surprised me it's got 270,000 listens is here comes the sun who knew Moving from magazines to books, there's a fantastic new book out about magazines at the moment. If you've been paying attention to the journal, you might have caught our interview um, a, a couple of weeks back uh, with the two pro- uh, protagonists behind this. But um, Walter Bernard and Milton Glaser have a book of their work, 50 Years of Collaborations Together, called Mag Men. It's a fabulous book about uh, the origins of New York magazine, uh, as well as their more uh, recent work. But it's 50 years of work. Um, it's a fascinating exposition on the art of making magazines. And there was one little piece that I just wanted to pull out from the introduction. There's an interview where Milton Glaser is asked, how do you design for the short attention span of readers? And uh, Glaser replies, when we were working at New York Magazine in the 1970s, we learned that the attention span for uninterrupted reading of most people then hovered around seven minutes. This coincided with the length of two commercial breaks in most TV programmes. We designed features to be read by somebody with the temperament of the so-called TV generation. The design of New York had constant interruptions, headlines, subheads, drawings, jokes, all to prevent reader fatigue and loss of attentiveness. There's a psychic load in the mere act of turning a page. And that's just one little excerpt, but that just it's fascinating hearing how even in the 70s designers were having to respond to the threat and the the 
shift in attention spans for the TV generation. And of course, things have got even more complicated now with the internet, but we could almost just replace the 70s with the noughties and the TV generation with the internet generation, and it's the same old problem. In the context of uh, New York Magazine in particular, they have addressed that very, very um, very confidently, not only in terms of uh, how they've adapted their magazine in print to the internet, but also how they've adapted their internet presence to the, to the idea of magazines. So moving on to some of my personal highlights and keeping with the um, with the uh, New York theme there, um, Douglas McRae is the man behind Pop-Up Magazine and California Sunday. He spoke at our New York conference earlier this year. There's one particular quote from him that I really felt was an important one. He, he if, if there was one person for, that I was sort of particularly thrilled and impressed by to meet and, and hear from this year, it was Douglas. He was a great speaker and not only spoke a lot of sense but spoke with great style and substance uh, but this quote was very strong and, and rang a lot of bells and intrigued me in the past five years i've thought a lot about what a magazine is and i have no idea what a magazine might be and i like that uh, and i like that i like that quote because it defines for me the, the the idea that what a magazine might be is kind of boundaryless. There's there's no edge to it, and I've, it's fascinating to me that someone like Douglas, who's working in two very exciting projects, still doesn't see the edge. He can't. He hasn't found the edge, and um, that for me makes him a, the most interesting person I've come across this year. As well as my own highlights, I also wanted to share um, some highlights from some of our friends. And I went to the Stack Awards a few weeks back, and 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 uh, managed to pull aside some of the winners and some of the people that are there and ask them what their highlights of the year were. And so here's the, um, the first selection of a few of those. Hey, this is David from Buffalo City. The highlight in magazines this year, for me, the most exciting thing I can think of was when, uh, as a graphic designer, I was very excited when Fantastic Man changed the format. They took, the, under the pretext of the new decade, they decided to revamp and do a new design new format which is very unusual and unexpected and they always have like this impeccable presentation so it, it was very exciting to see them do something completely new and going in a new direction. Hello this is Andrea from Buffalo Zine. My highlight of the year would probably be Civilization from Richard Turley. Uh, I kind of like the, the fact of not having any images and just having this uh, extra amount of text all over and how that kind of, kind of composes together, I don't know. I'm Adrian from Buffalo Zine and um, probably I'm reaching an age um, that I should start thinking of freezing my eggs. So um, I have like this motherly instinct and I've been very compelled, of course, as everyone by Greta Thunberg this year but also, um, as a Spanish person, uh, Leonor, who is the princess of Asturias and the daughter of the kings of Spain, she has these awards and she gave um, this series of uh, very prestigious awards in Spain to a person that I love, which is Siri Husbet. And she did the most like beautiful, she's 14 only, and she did like the most beautiful like speech like speaking perfect English and I just like felt for a very long time like very proud from from someone representing Spain and she was only 14 so I was again like what magazine covered mm, it next hola of course of course which is the Spanish hello 
No, hello is the English hola, sorry. Oh, <laughs> good point. I am Ernst van der Hoeven from McGuffin magazine, based in Amsterdam. And my title, which I wanted to tell a bit more about, is um, The Fantastic Man. I was pretty amazed when I saw their new cover and also what they achieved to do with a magazine that's been so long around. And I was um, a revelation that a magazine could really reinvent themselves in that way. And it's, I think it's bold and it's, it's outstanding and it's their new format, you know, literally, that it, that it becomes square. And also that they play with the, the word of fantastic, it becomes more man and it's, the fantastic has become very subtle and minor. And I think that's exactly what, um, what, the new issue, what the new issue proves to be. It's more humble and it's also proved to be very near to what's going on. So what I also liked is that, it's, um, that the whole issue is sort of located from one city. It's, uh, uh, they, they researched it in Athens and the whole spirit of atoms of a sort of vibrant and anarchistic it's in that magazine and it's in it's it holds that issue and i, th I think it's outstanding that they, that they were so 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 brave to do that to make that transition and it's also one other thing that i wanted to mention is that if you are you know become mainstream it doesn't mean that you're not can be an independent thinker Interesting to note there, uh, multiple mentions of Fantastic Man and its redesign. And my uh, next highlight from the year is the magazine of the year. And for me, Fantastic Man and its redesign are by some distance the, the most interesting project that has happened this year. I think uh, what they did is a great example of what a redesign should be. It's not simply a kind of shift of emphasis or a new typeface. It's a complete shift of the design, the logo. I think something that's been slightly overlooked is the way that what used to be Fantastic Man is now Fantastic Man. The, the key thing there is man. That campness of fantastic has been played down a little bit. And the whole editorial emphasis has shifted while still retaining its kind of core identity. And I think it's a, it's a great re renewal of, of a project and the, and the team should be congratulated on the, the boldness of doing so. The primary change was to, to work to a theme. And the, the theme of that first uh, redesign issue was Greece, which might sort of send you off in a certain direction. But actually, as I understand it, the next theme is going to be something very different, not another country. And I think it's fascinating to see how they're going to adapt so strongly to such different subjects remains to be seen how different but different subjects each time very excited by that and the prospect of the next issue and now a few more highlights of some of our friends my name is Fernando Augusto Pacheco I'm the producer and host of The Stack at Monaco 24 our show about magazines I think my main story for 2019 is the reinvention of men's magazines I mean we have three stories here Fantastic Man released a new issue completely different from everything they've ever done uh, it was kind of a, a Greek-themed issue. I was a bit concerned at first because I'm a big fan of the magazine, but again, it's the same kind of spirit of the title. And I'm glad that they reinvented themselves because I know a lot of men's titles copy them in a way or other uh, publications as well. Uh, and it's not only Fantastic Man, the American uh, JQ. I mean, they became a bit cooler, a bit more fashion, especially after Will Welch became uh, the editor, I believe, this year. Uh, and the British Esquire as well, another fantastic example. They became uh, coming out every two months, which again I was concerned about. But then every issue is, it feels quite luxurious, you know, and, 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 and again, it's quite thematic. 
so I'm glad the magazines are still pushing, you know, the boundaries and and they're changing, but not losing their kind of soul. My name is Elizabeth. I'm from Sabbath Magazine. My passion project of this year was uh, Pan and the Dream. It's a beautiful, large format magazine, and I absolutely love how they use typography. I think it's the most elegant product and cover that has come out this year, and it is very concerned with the subject matter that I am very interested in. And I think it fuses this like vintage kind of glamour of kind of almost like Harper's Bazaar from old times and this beautiful typography with like especially the moon issue. I really love that. And I think they have a wonderful aesthetic comprehension of, of this theme. And I really, really want to see what they're going to do in the future. I think it's a sublime level of elegance and I'm a complete admirer of their work. Hi, I'm Nina. I'm the art and visual editor and co-creative director of It's Freezing in LA. And I'm Matthew and I'm the designer of, um, and co-creative director of It's Freezing in LA. One of our favourite things about this year was working with Winchester School of Art um, on a project creating illustrations for our fourth issue of our magazine. Yes, it was really fun to go to into a university space and bring our projects into that space and to um, like run the crits. Yeah, it was it, such a great also project I think for us in terms of the creative direction because we had to create a brief for students which even though we're creating briefs for illustrators the whole time I think creating briefs for students makes you really kind of pin down and uh, simplify what you're actually trying to do so I think it was hugely important for us as a team to be able to like work out what yeah. we wanted to get from them. And it was really nice how like when we were feeding back on the illustrations we were always like discovering what we thought out of our tone of voice at the magazine as well and like how other people can fit their practice into what we're doing and stuff like that. Two are being published in issue four so keep an eye out. Yeah. And so to my next highlight uh, that is Project of the Year, and it's the uh, the long-term transformation of the Atlantic by the new creative director, Peter Mendelssohn. This has been something that's been bubbling away and people wondering about what was going to happen, how it was going to happen, because Mendelssohn is best known for his book work, book design and writing, both fiction and non-fiction. This is his first magazine project. It's a monthly news title from the States. It's all very august in its background. It kind of joins things like National Geographic and a lot of other the big names that still remain in print in the US that have been completely reinvented visually and editorially over the last couple of years. This latest one is an extraordinary one. It's, it's, it's absolutely beautiful. I can't recommend it enough. It really kind of repositions that magazine. It was intriguing interviewing Mendelssohn earlier this year just to get his, his take on it because he hasn't worked in a magazine before. I asked him what it was like working on a magazine, and his answer was this. What's a magazine? No, seriously, I'm still trying to figure this out. Everything is different. Schedules, workflow, terminology, mission, execution. The way one works with photography and illustration, typography, the forms of freedom, the kinds of constraint. Even the people are different. Turns out I like journalists a lot. And it's fascinating to me that both Mendelssohn and Douglas McRae earlier in this piece talk about the idea of what is a magazine and, and they're, they're not just comfortable making a magazine they're questioning to themselves what is a magazine i like that a lot time for our last selection of highlights 
And included in this section is uh, Fabian Sol, who is one of the editors of Flaneur, who won a magazine of the year at the Stack Awards. So I'm Valentina Gravel Medina from Suspira magazine, and I'm not going to talk about Suspira magazine this time around. I'm going to talk about Oso magazine, which was a magazine that I was really excited about when it launched this year, because I have never skated, but I've kind of like been part of like subculture since I was a teenager that were related to kind of like the metal scene and uh, you know rock and roll and the skater scene per se, and knew a couple of girls who skated when I was younger, and I always kind of like hope that someone would do a skate magazine that's more focused on female skaters, especially because there's so many like really cool skaters around. And a couple of years back, I started following this really young skater called Sky Brown. I think like she's, I don't know how old she's now, but like when I just started like looking um, around like what she was doing, she was like, I think seven or eight. And I was so impressed by it and the fact that her parents supported it, her so much. And I think she has like a little brother as well that is, uh, either doing the same or like something similar to her. So when Oso came out, I was really excited about it because I, it felt like something that should have been around for a long time, but it wasn't. So that's probably my highlight of the year related to magazines for sure. And the fact that they won't launch of the year was really cool as well. So that's my highlight. I'm uh, Simon, Simon Armstrong. I'm the buyer for uh, Tate Modern and Tate Britain in books and magazines. And I think one of the highlights of my year 2019 was a, a little zine called Weird Walk, which is a bunch of guys wandering around the UK, having quite strange experiences and then writing it down in a really cool way. They're on their second issue now. It's just a cool, very sweet little thing. And you should check it out. But the, I mean, there are many other things, but I think that's, that's one. I'm Fabian Sao, the editor-in-chief of Flamur Magazine. What struck me the most in this year is uh, in a way to go back to the reasons why we started making an independent magazine, but we started doing a print magazine, and that was finding a vessel for, for things to happen, for conversations to happen, that would uh, not be restricted by anyone else, but that it would also be something that we wouldn't know about before we actually started doing it. So in many ways, what we, what we did this year was something that after a couple of years, you, you feel like you're very sure about but then something happens and you're kind of back on square one. So you start thinking, I have no idea what's the outcome of, of that project particularly, which is the Taipei issue of Fenway Magazine. And then you are looking out for people that are working with you, people you're reaching out to, like sometimes random people that never make it into the mag magazine, sometimes contributors but that kind of like teach you what your original idea was about. And a very much the type of issue like that. It's a, it was a process of learning what the hell, why you're doing a magazine? What's that all about? You know, every journalist goes, oh, a print magazine uh, in 2019. What's the purpose of that? And, uh, and you dismiss it easily, that, that question. But there's a point to it, like why do you do that? And, and I think the, the urgency that the contributions created, the, the people that got together to, to try to work around a place that diplomatically speaking was not that much on the map for us or anyone else, really provided the vessel that we think a magazine is and something 
that struck us the most was that while we were creating a magazine, that was a documentation of something that would always transcend the print format, but still would rely on the, the object we were creating together. Therefore, I think the outcome for me, or the, the thing that struck me the most, was like, we're doing a magazine that's not a magazine, but it relies on having that format as well. So thank you to everybody who contributed to uh, that look back at the year. Um, it's great to have so many people involved in it. I'm looking forward to seeing what you all do in the next year. Uh, and so to our, our final little section, kind of looking back at the year, one of the things I've been um, hoping for for some time is, is more campaigning magazines, not necessarily strictly political, but magazines that have a, a point of view and a direction and hoping to take you along with them. One thing that's definitely come to fore this year, not surprisingly, is climate change and the environment. And I'm delighted to welcome Martha Dillon, who's the editor and founder of It's Freezing in LA magazine, to have a chat about that subject area. Welcome. Hello. Thanks for having me. So you spoke at Magculture Live earlier this year, at which you revealed the front cover of the fourth issue of the magazine. Yep. And you, um, earlier this month, you had the launch party. Yeah, last week, last Thursday, election uh -huh. night, which was quite poorly timed. Started off quite a nice party and everyone was a bit sad by the end, but we had a good night. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's good. Uh, and um, what form did the party take? Was it, I mean, it simply a, we're having a party or was there a... Yeah, so I think we've sort of, we do kind of on and off parties and then more serious events with mm -hmm. speakers and stuff. But I think it's quite nice when we're doing something quite difficult to also have a more positive community around what we're doing as well. Yeah, so we yeah. like having free events that just have music and drinks and mm -hmm. we sell some magazines as well. So yeah, it was mm -hmm. just, we had some really good bands, Memory of Spec and Horsey. Okay. Great. Tell us about the new issue then. So, I mean, you, you always have this very clear visual identity. Uh, the, the identity this time is... Um... Yeah, so the, the new magazine is about change, which to some degree all of them are. But I think this one, we wanted to look more at the idea of change as a process. So normally when you talk about climate change or you read an article, it will have a lot of statistics about this is how much carbon the UK uses or this is how many insects are declining or whatever. And actually we wanted to look at what climate change looks like as a process over a longer period of time and rather than trying to put a snapshot on something that's really complicated mm -hmm. to try and grasp all the sort of strands of it. So the design identity um, put together by our designer Matthew Lewis um, and our kind of science and text team was about Hurricane Dorian. So we looked at um, wind maps. So these amazing resources online which show sort of weather patterns all around the world. And we found some snapshots from Hurricane Dorian as it moved across the Caribbean mm -hmm. and then sort of did some discussion of, of what that did, what politically that meant, what Donald Trump did in response to it and stuff like that. Uh, which all expresses the the information very well, but, but just visually, they're gorgeous. I mean, they're gorgeous images. Yeah, um, they're, they're absolutely stunning. And, yeah. and Matthew's done these amazing things all the way through all four issues, where you know we'll have these conversations about kind of climatic impacts and, and processes and, and patterns, and then he'll suddenly come up with these just beautiful sort of motifs um, that are built into the magazine. It's and it's really exciting, you know, to go, go from having a conversation to actually a piece of art is amazing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I want to pick up on the point you, you referred to in terms of the um, not just providing a single snapshot. That's, you know, there seems to be a desire often around climate change to just sort of say, 10 years ago it was this and now it's this, isn't it awful? Mm. And it seems very kind of snappy, and, but it's also quite sort of reductive to the point of all you can do is shrug your shoulders and go, oh, oh shit. Yeah, uh, it's really simplistic and it really invites sort of quite nationalistic narratives, like mm -hmm. what can the UK do, what do we do in the UK? It just takes, you know, it's the most complex problem in the history of mankind, really, you know, the, the, our relationship with the planet deteriorating. So actually to, to try and put any kind of pin in it is, is just impossible. Mm -hmm. And that's what we wanted to, our writers to explore and, and illustrators to explore in the new issue, just that sense of, of morphing and evolution. 
and it also kind of it kind of keys with something you mentioned during your talk at, at MagCulture Live about this difference between uh, your background as a scientist, which tends to get into the data and the kind of very kind of start, mm. it's this or it's this, and whereas the magazine, by its very very nature, is a little bit more greyer. It's a bit, it's, it, the storytelling is very different to your background. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I sort of talked about MagCulture Live about. So I'm an engineer by background and engineering is, the point of engineering is to sort of distill complicated real world issues into processes and equations. And that's very productive. It's created the technology we live in and the technology that's caused climate change. But it also is impossible. You can't do that, and particularly with something like climate change. So I think something that's been really enriching for all of us on the project is the kind of bounce between you know, people who work in kind of scientific or, you know, political or whatever, economic disciplines and people who are storytellers and working out how the two can help each other be more accurate but also more thought-provoking and can reveal more about the situation mm. we're in. And I think and it's just been a really incredible process for all of us, I think. And more persuasive, perhaps. Certainly more persuasive. And, you know, it's and it, it works, you know, I think we have more credibility from the fact that we work with people who really know what they're talking about and it means we can put things together in a more intuitive way, but also because we're working with people who know how to talk to people, it's interesting and it's engaging. And, and I, something that is a bit strange is that it's a really devastating and difficult topic, but also we're trying to make it interesting, um, which can feel a bit, yeah, a bit strange, but um, actually I think works really well. I think you want to come out of it having a tiny bit better grasp on, mm -hmm. on what's going on. And do you have a sense from your, the readership and the people that are buying the magazine who they are and I imagine that generally they're, they're receptive and sympathetic to, to what and, and are you hoping to reach beyond people like that towards people that maybe are a little bit blind to the science? Yeah I, th I think we're not really bothering to try and change anyone's mind from the start because there's lots of resources out there to do that that's a really important part of change but it's not all of change I think our goal is to get people who are interested in climate change and who have quite a strong grasp of it but who don't necessarily have just a huge background in it or experience with it. And we want to give those people some vocabulary, some confidence to talk about it. We want to try and push some of the really amazing ideas at the forefront of people working in climate change, the ideas that they've developed and, and disseminate them to people who might not have been so involved with discussion. So yeah, it's definitely people who are already you know, quite thoughtful of it, but hopefully making them more thoughtful or helping them engage the conversation a bit better. Uh, yeah, and, and maybe giving them more um more, uh, I want to say ammunition, that's completely the wrong word, but uh, more knowledge to share. Yeah, absolutely. And more and more subtlety, you know, more, mm -hmm. more insights into complexity. I think what's fascinating is that when you talk to anyone, their set of kind of background motivations and references and resources and understanding of it are totally different, mm -hmm. ranging from the most experienced, you know, Christina Figuera, someone running climate policy for the globe, to someone who's literally just read a few articles. And they work might well. You know, the person just read a few articles might well know something that Christina Bogaris doesn't know. And that's really exciting in a magazine because you can platform ideas big and small from all over the place. You've got space to do that, and that's brilliant. So I'd like you to take you back to the kind of origins of the magazine because you, you trained uh, in engineering and you're now working as a sustainability engineer. Yes. Whilst it's not out of the realms of possibility that you might then end up in publishing, you had no background in publishing or indeed in sort of writing or that kind of... Not, area of activity beyond your day-to-day -day job? 
Not hugely. I wrote um, a bit for sort of uni publications and I edited my uni science magazine. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of how, really how IFLA started because that's when I reunited with Nina Carter, who now directs all illustrations. Mm -hmm. So we both had experience from that. But in terms of sort of professional magazine world, not nothing. Um, we just both wanted to make things, I think. But also, I mean, you know, presumably through your day to day work, you were becoming more and more kind of. Um, concerned stroke knowledgeable so wanting to do yeah. something about yeah, what you were discovering I think there was as a, you know I think a lot of people in my generation have where we grew up being told that bad things happened and being told that climate change was going to happen and then realizing it was happening and sort of getting to adulthood and saying okay well why is no one doing anything about this sort of assume, I, I think I assumed that people were doing things about it and of course they are but not to the degree I'd hoped so I think yeah when when Nina and I and the whole team got to kind of our professional lives and realised people weren't doing the things we'd hoped to go and join companies and organisations and magazines doing and they weren't there. Sort of one of the only things we could do was just do it for ourselves. And that was, yeah, for me that certainly came out. I was sort of looking at lots of engineers doing and knowing a huge amount about the problem but not necessarily knowing how to talk about them. And then similarly on the other side, people who are really good at talking about things but not talking about climate change and so the magazine sort of started bringing together people and asking people to talk about sort of cross their own disciplines and sort of built from there. The question that leads on from that is is, is now that you're four issues into the magazine I, I, have you learned things that you're taking into your day job in terms of storytelling and communicating? Yeah absolutely I mean a, you know a lot of my day job is about climate change is about how to make buildings and cities more climate aware and I think I studied engineering because I knew it was an effective way to make change, but I never really questioned what I was being taught. And now I'm in a position where I can work in an engineering firm and think, actually, why are we building this at all? And that's actually a really profound question to ask of an engineering firm and one that I would not have felt equipped mm -hmm. to begin to articulate or feel confident to, to bring up. And that's, that, and that's your day-to-day -day role within it is, is yeah. in terms of sustainability. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, and I'm not sure I've ever convinced a project not to happen, but um, you know, who knows? And asking those questions is really important. It's a really big challenge. Absolutely, just having the question at the table. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So as I mentioned in the introduction, uh, I'm really keen on, on, on magazines that have a, a more of a campaigning direction than being simply... Uh, entertainment and there, we're seeing more and more magazines sort of involved in some of these um, complicated issues. There's, there's print magazines. I mean, we you know we've got a few on the table here. We've got Icarus Complex mm. and Where the Leaves Fall. Do you keep abreast of the, of these magazines? Do you find you? Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, Icarus Complex is amazing. Um, I like that they've got quite a strong focus on interviews, which mm -hmm. we don't do too much. And yeah, I've not seen Where the Leaves Fall, but it's it's a question. I don't know why you're doing climate change and and your sort of interaction with nature is quite an interesting question. And one, again, that we, we're probably quite human-focused. Mm -hmm. um, so I'd be interested to, to learn more from that, definitely. And then, um, I mean, it, it's sort of broadening that conversation around the coverage of climate change. Um, just a couple of weeks back, uh, Time magazine had their mm. person of the year, and it was Greta. And yeah, yeah. Uh, she sort of polarises people. I mean, you know, I can't imagine for a moment you would... Uh, feel anything but um, support yeah. for what she's doing but I mean, how do you see somebody in, in that role of what she's doing? Oh, Greta I think extremely important I'm always a bit concerned for people who have so much hate for a 17 year old child who wants yeah. to make the world better. Um, so it's more about them I think than well, her. Well exactly yeah. and also I, it's extraordinary her knowledge of science and policy is is genuinely brilliant it's amazing I think it would be quite easy to have a kind of sweet white blonde 
spokesperson who actually didn't really know what they're talking about, but she really does, and, mm-hmm. and that's extraordinary. Yeah, and, and also, like, you know, the point is not to analyse whether the ship she's travelling on really is good for the environment. It's a message saying, I can't get there any other way. Yeah. And, and stuff like that, the symbolism she uses is, is really powerful. Mm-hmm. You know? And as you say, like, that inspires hate as well, but it's kind of a marker of how, how big her voice is. And, and, and where else? I mean, you know, we've got a few magazines here. We do see magazines like Time and some of the big, the big mm. publications um, paying attention. Where else do you sort of measure what you're doing against? Quite a lot of places. I think in terms of the kind of science and policy side, there's a website called Carbon Brief, and they do extraordinary work analysing, um, yeah, international and national policies and putting together these amazing infographics and visuals, which are really powerful and, and a really good place just to kind of know what you're talking about is kind of accurate. Desmog is another website. They do sort of investigative journalism on, you know, carbon backers, who people are working with, which is always quite interesting. Um, yeah, there's tons of stuff out there and, and increasingly podcasts, although I'm still looking for the podcast that um, mm-hmm. really gets me. But yeah, Mothers of Invention, which is uh, Mary Robinson, the first female president of Ireland, her podcast about sort of different people affected by climate change was very, um, yeah, was mm. very affecting. Could you envisage a podcast yourself at the magazine? I mean, that seems to be a... Yeah, I think that's the plan. Yeah. Long-term okay. plan. Cool. Um, well, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, the new issue's out now. I can't recommend it enough. And keeping on the same theme, our final Mag Culture Meets of 2019 featured the founder and editor of Good Trouble magazine, uh, Rod Stanley. He spoke about the new issue, which wants to cause good trouble around the environment and climate change. So um, we're just going to move over to him and hear a little clip from his talk at the shop. So recently I've been putting the finishing touches to issue three together with everyone else that's, uh, that's working on it and contributing their time to it and trying to think about what sort of how good trouble works as a business or an anti-business. What is its plan? What is its sort of commercial idea? And I've just sort of landed on this idea of it being post-commercial, which is kind of a joke and I'm just kind of being stupid. But I was calling it non-commercial or anti-commercial, but it didn't quite seem to capture the idea that we're not really planning to make any money from this, can't really survive off the publication of an independent newspaper about arts and activism. So I guess post-commercial is a bit like non-commercial, but uh, adds a bit of the reality that you know there's not much we can do about that anyway. Contributors do get paid. We pay the photographers and the writers who work for it. The people who are making the magazine don't. But that does mean a newspaper is relatively cheap to print, so it does make profit in that regard. And then we give all the money that each issue makes to a different charity or a different cause. The first issue... You know, we've given like thousands of dollars, pounds to War Child with the first one, who do a lot of work with kids in war zones around the world. For the second issue, we chose Raices, which you may not know, but they're a Texas-based charity. And they came to kind of prominence because they're doing a lot of work with families who are separated at the southern border in the U.S. by the Trump administration. And they were a relatively small Texas charity that was suddenly kind of on the front lines of trying to reunite tens of thousands of families and kids. And for this third issue, we've selected Extinction Rebellion, um, which is the picture at the bottom. I think that's Oxford, Oxford, Oxford Circus a few months ago or in the summer. Really because that's the focus of our third issue and I think reflects this, um, the fact that you know, the climate crisis and the fight has really been something that's come to the fore of public debate this year. So with that, this is the cover of our next issue. This is issue 21, which is the confusingly numbered third issue. The image is by Olafur Eliasson, 
Uh, it's an unpublished photograph by him of a melted glacier in Iceland, which is called Ok. I'm not going to be able to pronounce it. It's called Ok for short, even by the Icelandics, and it has many syllables after that. But you might have seen it in the news. I think it was in August. There was a ceremony, and it's the first glacier to disappear because of global warming, and they installed a plaque where there's a, 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 an Icelandic poet wrote an inscription saying this is the first of the glaciers to melt in 200 years. All glaciers will have melted, you know, future people looking at this plaque, you'll be able to know if we did anything about it or not. And dotted throughout the issue, we've got these kind of fake adverts. As I mentioned, we don't take any adverts, but these are by an artist, Darren Cullen. Great, you can sort of see a little closer, it's the shell, but it's hell. And they have these sort of satirical messages, this one, we're turning our carbon emissions green for Earth Day, um, kind of poking fun at this idea of corporations like greenwashing, you know, trying to pretend that they're doing something when really they're not. We've brought back this special artwork section. Uh, instead of the Unmanifesto, this is The Wasteland, um, again curated by Francesca Gavin. Uh, it's inspired by an Ursula K. Le Guin essay. It's about seeing nature, animals, as our kinfolk, as our family. And this is a collection of artists, really, whose work responds to and you know, relates to the natural world and our kind of environment in some way. Sebastian Maker, I love this photo of this shell garage that's like literally built around the palm tree. Here's some of the other artworks. Most of you recognize David Shrigley on the left. It was great that he wanted to get involved. I like Shrigley. Uh, Joan Jonas at the right. Uh, Shauna Gavin, kind of sort of apocalyptic collage. So those are the two main sections. Uh, one of the problems we faced that in putting together this very kind of climate crisis focused issue, uh, was I ended up with so many stories which were not really climate related. I ended up with enough to fill an entire other magazine as well. So we thought, well, let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> and so we've created a, a third section, which is still full broadsheet. And now we're kind of sort of heading into real sort of Sunday supplement territory. And I don't, I don't know how we're going to ship it. I'm not sure how we're going to fold it, but sort of problems we're figuring out. We want to shine a light, celebrate individuals, you know, movements who we kind of think are doing really amazing work to change minds, affect people, and hopefully, you know, make the world a better place in some way. But, you know, I hope that all of us, you know, whatever we do, whatever we work on, whatever it is, you know, that we can find a way to make some good trouble, necessary trouble. Rod was speaking at the final Mag Culture Meets of 2019, and if you're interested in finding out what our plans are for the next year, then we'll be announcing them um, during January. We'll be back after this with our back issue. London Printers Park Communications are a key part of the independent publishing scene helping ambitious magazine makers make their dreams a reality. Check the brand new issues of Ripost and Another Escape to see why Park were recently awarded Bespoke Magazine Printer of the Year at the 2019 Print Week Awards. Just like MagCulture, Park Communications love magazines and we're proud to have them sponsor this podcast. And so to our back issue. I love looking back at magazines that maybe aren't around anymore or that get overlooked. And as we end 
the decade. I've selected this time a magazine that ended at the start of the decade. Carl's Cars represents a particular type of indie magazine, the magazine that reinvents a genre. In its case, it's the car magazine, an area often of extreme cliché that was well due a rethink. The clue to the difference with Carl's Cars was its subtitle, a magazine about people. Instead of focusing on speed, power and statistics, this Norwegian title took a more realistic approach to its subject, addressing our day-to-day relationship with the car with a light and often humorous approach. It did a shoot about mooning from car windows. Another favourite was Car Pyjamas, a series of shots of cars covered by canvas for the winter months. It it was that humour and that lightness of touch that was unlike any other magazine. It couldn't be more different to something like Top Gear. It was an anti-car mag magazine rather than anti-car mag. Uh, It was also a magazine of its time, of course. Perhaps the last hurrah of the car fanatic. It's, it's, see, there's something ironic in ending the, you know, the, the, with a back issue, which is a car magazine, when we've been busy discussing climate change and the issues around that, but so be it. That magazine, unfortunately, came to an end, but it has been so re- responsible for so many other magazines since uh, that it's lovely to remember it. So we come to the end of the podcast, we come to the end of the year, we come to the end of the decade. Thank you for listening. Listen some more in the new year. Share some love on whatever platform you're listening to the podcast on and have a great start to 2020.